0: Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White
1: and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring everything assisted reproductive technology, the way our lives and our world is changed, and how our family is being formed is different now. Um, I'm Ellen Trackman. I'm an attorney specialized in assisted reproductive technology law, and I'm honored to be here and co host with my sister,
2: Jennifer White. All right. I, I'm just the sister. It's okay. You know, yeah. that's all right. No. So <laughs> I am Jennifer White. Most I important am, qualification. It is the most important qualification, but I am also the uh, co-director of Colorado surrogacy, Montana surrogacy, and New Mexico surrogacy, which probably keeps me a little busier than I would like to admit on top of, you know, uh, normal family life obligations and things like that. Uh, But uh, today we have the absolute honor of hearing a really, really honest, soul bearing interview with Jessica Field, who is the uh, director of the uh, Walk of Hope in Colorado, and I'm really excited to let you all hear about her.
1: Welcome, Jessica Field. By quick introduction, I'll say how we know each other, which is through the Walk of Hope, which is a big fundraiser for the organization Resolve, um, which is a a huge national organization advocating for those with infertility. Um, And every year we have this walk where we raise money and join together as a community. And Jessica is our fearless leader and incredibly detail-oriented and on top of everything and an all round very impressive person. Um, but I want to talk to her both about Walk of Hope, which is coming up very soon. This year's is June 23rd, uh, 2018. So Saturday, June 23rd, not too late to show up and come, um, support everyone in the community. Um, so to talk to Jessica about this, but as well as her, her personal story have brought her to, to give back to the community and be such a, a force of nature. Jessica, welcome. Thank you. Um if you don't mind giving kind of a quick introduction of your who you are and um and then we'll dive into kind of your story.
0: Okay, perfect. Yeah, so um like Ellen said I actually met her through the Colorado Walk of Hope um when I was going through well I'm actually still very much in the middle I guess of my infertility journey. Um but I kind of stumbled across Resolve um during that time kind of early on. And I heard about the Walk of Hope that they were having in Arizona. They actually do Walk of Hope in several different states, um, but they didn't have one in Colorado yet. So the closest one to me and the one that made the most sense was the one in Arizona. I actually... Did you go? um, No, I actually registered for the Arizona Walk because I have family there. So I was just going to go out and do it with my family out there and... Um, meanwhile, you know, from when I went ahead and registered, I actually reached out to Resolve and asked them why there wasn't one in Colorado um, and, you know, what I could do to get one here. And before the Arizona Walk of Hope happened that year, we actually started organizing the Colorado one. Wow. That's incredible. That's um, very cool. Yeah. So I, so I didn't end up, you know, going to Arizona after all, I kind of wish I did so that I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. That is impressive.
1: So I knew that you kind of like led the way and been in charge, but I did not know that you were the driving force too, that you'd been like, Hey, why don't we have one and made it happen?
0: Yeah. Well, and there were a couple other people. I think they must've had some other interest in having it here too, because it really was pretty quick turnaround when I reached out. Um, You know, within a few months, I think we were, you know, starting to try and gather volunteers and figure out what role I was going to be, um, filling and yeah, it was actually really exciting that I brought it here. And then now it's just, it's seriously like my baby, you know, I started it from the ground here and it's been really awesome. Just, you know, one of the most meaningful and rewarding things in my life for sure.
1: And you have done an amazing job raising that baby. <laughs> uh, for those who are on the fence about whether to come out, it is so fun. Aside from just getting everyone together, there is a porcupine there, like a giant porcupine, which is really fun to see. We're having a giant Lego set to put together. Like lots what of fun Also, for, Ellen, just for, for
2: people who are outside of Colorado, because obviously not all of our <laughs> listeners are going to be in the area, is you can always, always yeah, go enough. support um, the Walk of Hope and Resolve online as well. And even... Even I'd love to show for our team because darn it, I am super <laughs> uber competitive and I want to be the biggest fundraiser there is that we have a team called fetal attraction. You should come look us up too.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. I've seen that but team growing. Can,
2: people, can and <laughs> people can support and donate even if they can't come out in person as well. So that's kind of important to note. Yeah. Yeah. Good point.
0: Absolutely. Last year was, um, our biggest, most successful year. We had, um, Around 300 walkers that actually registered. I think there may have been more, but not everybody actually came up and registered at the tent. Um, and then we raised thirteen thousand dollars last year.
2: It's so,
0: awesome.
1: Um, which blew <laughs> out of the water your goals for it. Which oh is yeah, really amazing.
0: Oh yeah, our goal was I think it was seventy five hundred and as we got close to that, I started challenging people to raise more. And then I just had to keep raising our goal because we just kept
2: (laughs) going. It was awesome. That is incredible.
0: All right. So
2: now we have to go to the, to the you part though. (laughs) We could talk about resolve and the walk of hope all day. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about you and your background. um, Just, just about you personally.
0: Okay. Um, So let's see, I guess, um my husband and I met in high school. Um Aww. so he's been a big part of my life for a really long time now. <laughs> um so we met um it's actually kind of funny cuz we really didn't like each other at first. <laughs> um, we both were on like our swim teams in um high school and that's kind of I mean I had known him for a long time prior to that, but we didn't really start talking until we were both, you know, doing something together, um, and we really like. I I used to give him a lot of slack, and I, I don't know. It was just we, <laughs> it was more of I think kind of a flirtatious. Um, stage. But, yeah. But definitely, we weren't um, each other's favorite person at first. So it's kind of <laughs> funny how it works out.
1: <laughs> that's cute. I feel like that's the classic love story that you like, right. didn't like each other at first. Right.
0: Yeah, and it then... is pretty funny. <laughs> um, but then we, you know, um, pretty shortly after high school, um, within a year, we were actually moving into our first place together. Um, and then, you know, Bought a house, got married. And after we got married, um, well, before we got married, he was like insistent. He was begging me. He wanted kids. He wanted kids. You know, we had a lot of friends who had Uh. kids and um, they just kind of stole his heart and he was ready to be a dad. And of course... Being the very type A person that I am, <laughs> I was like, um, "No, <laughs> not right now." We need, <laughs> we need to do this a very different way. <laughs> so, you know, we, um, like I said, we we actually bought our house before we got married, and then we got married um, shortly after we got married. We decided to go ahead and um, not necessarily start trying for kids, but stop preventing it. Um, and we actually ended up pregnant pretty quickly after I you know had stopped birth control, and it was kind of a surprise at how quick it had happened. Yeah. you know, especially I kind of had a history growing up of not really knowing how easy it was going to be for me to conceive, um, which is kind of why we wanted to get started early. Um, wasn't and really to, sure. to
1: be super invasive? Why can I ask why you, you weren't sure? Oh, From your history yeah,
0: no, absolutely. Um, I was very irregular. Um, and it was, you know, my doctor, we hadn't like done any tests or anything really, but as I was, you know, growing up through my teenage years and stuff, like she had suggested I get on birth control to kind of regulate my cycle and, um, kind of forewarned me like that these were kind of early signs of, you know, maybe I would have a little bit of a hard time later. Um, At that point, I never really cared. You know, I was a young kid, and it didn't really matter to me at that point. Um, Wasn't at all having babies on the brain, so didn't, you know, really dive into any of that until, obviously, it was time to really start to take those steps. Yeah. So So you got pregnant. Yeah. So fast. Yeah, that's right. And then? So we did. Um, unfortunately we ended up being an ectopic pregnancy. So, um, it got stuck in my tube and I ended up having to have emergency surgery to remove my tube. So after that, you know, I was one tube down, but wasn't super concerned at that point.
2: And you were super young then too, right?
0: Yes. Yes. Actually. Um, we, I was only 22 um, when we started trying, um, which a lot of people told us, like, Oh, you're so young, you have plenty of time to worry about babies. And looking back now, it's just like, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't listen to those people that told me that I was too young and to not worry about it because right now I'm 29.
1: <laughs> yeah, those are still super young. <laughs> Um and and maybe I misremembering but did were you telling us that like when you first went in the doctor was like oh you're fine don't worry about it like
0: to your ectopic pregnancy Uh yes so actually um we went in for our first ultrasound of course after we had told everybody um or at least you know our close family and stuff that we were pregnant and we were excited and you know everybody was celebrating and then um, shortly after that, I actually started bleeding, and that was only a few days before our ultrasound was scheduled. Yeah. So we went in for the ultrasound and very, you know, awkward, silent interaction with the ultrasound tech, and mm. ended up finding out that um, they weren't seeing a viable pregnancy. So several tests and days later, um, the doctor had informed me that they thought that my body had taken care of it. So more like a miscarriage um, and like weren't even thinking that I would need a DNC or anything like that. She told me that she thought my body had absorbed it and taken care of it on its own. Um, So that in itself was a very emotional, you know, time but then you add to it that like the the numbers and the tests were not coming back, kind of showing those results. Like my Ugh. hormone levels were still going up, not by a lot, but they were still going up. And so I had some concerns.
1: And the doctor was just saying like, don't worry about it. It's fine that those numbers are going
0: up. Yeah. Um, well, and at one point they actually were like, well, if, you know, we don't see anything um But if you want to do, um, it was like some sort of injection that I could have had to basically, like, I guess, make sure that I had miscarried um, to kind of catch anything, I guess, that was still up there. She had said that I could do that, but that they weren't seeing anything. Okay. And so it was like, well, how do you... I don't know. For me at that point, I remember really struggling because my numbers were going up. And on one hand, she was telling me I could take this drug. And then the other, she was telling me that it might still be a viable pregnancy and that I might just be earlier on than what they thought. Right. And so it was like, how do you make that decision? Like, if there is a viable pregnancy, I don't want to terminate it. Of course. Um, But if there isn't, you know, like this, it, Just nothing was adding up. It was such a roller coaster of emotions. And so finally, I decided um, I wanted a second opinion. This, you know, what they were telling me was not making sense. Um, I was referred to another OBGYN just through, you know, some friends who had gone through stuff. And I went, um, scheduled an appointment, which she was a very popular OBGYN. So it was kind of hard to get in with her. Yeah. But as soon as I called and told my story about what was going on, it was a matter of like hours. Like wow. by the time I got a hold of them, it was almost closing time one night. And then they had me in at eight o'clock in the morning the next morning. Wow. That
1: speaks highly of that, that medical practice.
0: Oh my gosh. Like seriously, still to this day. I mean, she's now my regular OBGYN. I. Adore her. She saved my life. Do you, do you want to give a shout out? Is it, if you want, you don't have to
1: say a name if you don't want to.
0: Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. Um, Dr. Amy Johnson. Um, she's actually affiliated up in Longmont, um, Colorado. I think she actually just switched like hospitals that she does most of her work through. She was with um, Longmont United, but I think there's a new hospital up there that she's now affiliated with you know, does most of her work through. So what happened when you went in the next morning? Yeah, I still to this day, like I think about that day and my husband obviously was like working, you know, had gone back to work and was trying to get back to some normalcy. And I was still going to all these doctor's appointments and, you know, trying to figure out what the heck was going on and my mom just happened to like I called her that morning and said oh my gosh they can get me in she was um at work so didn't even get my call <clears throat> so i showered and stuff got ready it takes me like an almost you know 30 45 minutes to get up to this office and right before i walked out the door i tried calling my mom again and i still cannot believe that she picked up i was able to go pick her up from work thank God that I was able to, because she came with me. Um, we went in, <clears throat> they did an ultrasound, found that it was at topic and that I was, I could have been on the verge of, you know, that, I guess, um, I don't know what the best word is to say, but like almost exploding, you know, um, yeah. destroying my tube and wow. everything. Yeah. Um, uh, <clears throat> and so I met Dr. Johnson for the first time right. when she came into the office and told me that I would be in surgery in a half an hour. <clears throat> wow. Yeah, I was. And of course, all I could do was cry, you know. And then um, I, like, like I was saying, I'm so thankful that my mom ended up being there with me that day because she tried to help me hold it together. And then she did all of the, like, walked, she walked outside as soon as we heard the news, called my husband, um, you know, made sure that he knew and he ended up having to leave work and get there. You know, it was an emergency surgery. I, he barely made it, um, before I walked back for surgery or walked back, rolled back for surgery. (laughs) Um, and so it was just a very crazy, you know, probably like, two or three weeks, I think most of this took of our lives, you know, um, and so it was very emotional and uh, we didn't know at that point, you know, of course I had Googled everything and was, you know, overwhelming myself with what this meant and that I was at a higher risk for having an ectopic again. And, um, all of that, you know, my brain, like thinking forward, but also trying to deal with the fact that, we had just lost our first pregnancy and what all of that meant, you know, emotionally and um, physically, you know, to recover from that. So it wasn't until, you know, actually a year or so later, actually a year and a half, well, pretty close to two years before we really realized that that was kind of the start of our infertility journey too. Um, We had to wait a few months after surgery. And then we, you know, started trying again. And unfortunately, it wasn't working month after month. Um, And so I had spoken to Dr. Johnson, um, and she had tried to help me, you know, the most she could from like an OB perspective. Um, We did a couple rounds of Clomid, which is usually kind of I feel like the first and step, a super um, fun step for, for a people, lot of too. people.
1: <laughs> how how is that? I hear like terrible things about I mean, obviously it, it works for a lot of people, but I've also heard just like the side effects and how people feel can be really terrible. How how was it for
0: you? Oh yeah. It can definitely be a hormonal <laughs> nightmare. Um, I I felt like I probably wasn't on the worst end of the spectrum, but I definitely wasn't you know not impacted by it either um but my hormones were so crazy after everything anyway I feel like it just kind of added to it and like I still <laughs> look at my husband in awe sometimes and I'm like I put you through a lot
2: <laughs> I, I just say that about my husband in general I, I'm like god how do you live with me <laughs> <laughs>
0: right <laughs> And then you add all that exactly. other stuff on top of it. And it's like, oh my gosh, exactly. <laughs> like we're still
2: here. Um, so um, I assume the clomid didn't, did work, didn't work. Let's, let's, where did we go from with that?
0: No, it didn't work. Um, we tried a couple of rounds. And then after that, you know, my OB was like, okay, you need to see a specialist. Like this is kind of the end of my road with this, um, you know, I can't really offer you any more medical assistance. You need to see a specialist. So that was pretty much, um, 2012, early 2012 was when we lost the baby and went through the ectopic and all of that. Um, 2013, all the way through, you know, 2012 and 2013, we tried to have babies on our own and did the Clomid. Um, and then, It wasn't until 2014 when I finally, which was a few months, you know, after um, my doctor had said, go see a specialist, but before I finally actually got up the courage to do it. um, So we waited, you know, through 2013, kept trying on our own. It didn't work. So finally in 2014, we said, okay, it's time to go and get some of this testing done and see what we find out. So in January of 2014, We started our journey with conceptions um, here in Colorado and did a lot of testing. Um, Of course, you know, both sides of it. I had a lot of things working against me. Um, I have an underactive thyroid. I have PCOS, we found out, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, And then, of course, I had that previous ectopic pregnancy. So all of that together makes me pretty high risk. Um, so that was something that we were dealing with, you know, kind of in the beginning stages of treatment with conceptions was that I was high risk and what that meant. And like, I had to be cleared by a high risk OB and stuff like that before I could even start like the treatment that we did end up doing with conceptions. Um, and then my husband also had a little bit. Cass, um, what kind of treatment did they have you do? Oh yeah. So, um, we ended up doing three rounds of IUI, which is the intrauterine insemination. Yeah.
1: Um, and sorry. And your husband, he, he was perfect though.
0: Um, well, (laughs) mostly, you know, um, we actually thought that it was mostly me until we actually started doing some of the testing. And so when they look at, um, sperm, they look at like four different things when they're doing the testing for sperm and on three of those things he ended up being just fine the fourth one which i actually looked up um what it was called is the morphology um, of the sperm
1: Uh, like the shape of the sperm yeah so
0: the way that they explained that to me was the percentage of the sperm that could actually that was actually capable of breaking through the outer shell of an egg Um, that was lower than they wanted it to be in order to conceive um got it we we did one with a doctor
1: i think she was explaining or someone we talked to was saying how like a lot of sperm is like really weirdly shaped and their morphology is not good but there's expectation of like a certain percentage being like the kind of the way they want it to look so it sounds like yeah below that which
0: i think is why like i remember when they were testing that and looking at those four different things like one of them one of the things that they were looking at was like how many there were and it's so crazy like if I remember correctly they wanted more than like 20 million sperm and I was like it takes one like oh my god right? <laughs> right? <laughs> that's that's, that's a lot you know um but like we you don't said, want 20
1: million children just <laughs> right <laughs>
0: Um, but when you look at like all those different things, you know, it starts to go down from that 20 million to this and to that. And so it kind of makes sense, you know, once you get through it about why they want as many as they want for conception. So, okay. So you do IUI? Yes. So we did three rounds of IUI with conceptions. Um, of course, you know, we finished all of our testing before then, and I guess, for full disclosure, um, I should say that I guess um, prior to our three rounds of IUI they had done you know some of the lab work which had shown um, a, he was a little bit concerned um, my doctor was a little bit concerned about my egg health, but it wasn't um, so concerning where he felt like you know IUI wasn't going to be successful he still felt like our chance our best chances at that point you know were to go through IUI so got it we did three rounds um each round I think came with its own you know emotions and stuff um the first round I think we were very hopeful even when it wasn't successful we were still like okay you know it was the first round we weren't necessarily expecting it to be successful Um, like the first time, you know, of course, that's what you're hoping for. But knowing, you know, kind of the road we were going down, we didn't, we, I guess we hadn't lost all hope at that point. We were like, okay, this isn't, you know, what we wanted, but we were feeling okay with moving on to a second round. Um, and through the IUI, because I only had one tube at this point, um, we were having to watch to see which side I was ovulating on.
2: Oh, right. So, yeah.
0: Oh, interesting. I mean, I guess it is possible, like if I was ovulating on the side that didn't have a tube, apparently your body is capable of, um, you know, I guess moving it over to the other side. I guess, the, you know, the female body is amazing, but <laughs> um, they still wanted us to you know, we would watch and see, okay, what side am I ovulating on? We would skip the month if I was, you know, ovulating on the opposite side than what I needed to be ovulating on. Got it. Uh... Um. So then the second round that, that one I think was our most difficult. That was, you know, when we found out that it wasn't successful, it was really probably the hardest one on us because we had gone, gotten past that first round of still feeling hopeful and then the second round it was it was rough and it was like do we do we want to keep going like how do we keep going when it just feels like you know disappointment <clears throat> over and yeah. over again right um and we didn't really actually have that much time between our second and third one so we when you're going through IUI, like the way that your cycle works and stuff, you know, if you're going to be doing that every month, by the time you do the two week wait, they call it, you know, to find out if you're pregnant, you're almost ready to ovulate again. And so it's like kind of jumping right into that next month, if you're going to do it. Um, So,
1: so we're the second and third, like two weeks apart then?
0: Um, yeah, they weren't, we actually weren't expecting the third round to be as quick as it was because, you know, they say that usually like your body will switch which side it ovulates. So we were expecting to have to wait a month, which I think is what we had to do between rounds one and two. Um, we skipped a month and then, you know, continued that following month when I was ovulating on the right side that I needed to be. Um, But between round two and round three, um, I actually ovulated on that same side again that very next time. And so we didn't really have much time to even kind of deal with that disappointment um, and kind of our feelings with that before it was like, oh, crap, like it's time to jump into round three. Um, So round three, unfortunately, was also unsuccessful. Um, So that, that took up most of 2014 um, when, you know, doing those rounds of IUI Um, after that third round, we, I think it's kind of common that after three unsuccessful rounds, we kind of regroup and maybe do some additional testing um, and kind of figure out where we want to go from there since three rounds didn't, um, you know, produce results. So let's see, after that, um, I think I did say that prior to all of those rounds, um, you know, he was a little bit concerned about my egg health. So after all three rounds, they tested my egg health again. And at that point, he was able to compare the results. And it was obvious that my egg health was diminishing and it was happening pretty rapidly. Um, And so... It was kind of, um, I guess I can go kind of into the egg health piece of it too. Um, So with the egg health, when kind of like sperm, when they were looking at four different things, they look at three different things to determine your overall egg health. And um, two two of my results had come back normal, but one of them was abnormal, which was my amh blood levels um, and that reflects the size of the like remaining egg supply or your ovarian reserve so a higher amh is usually results in like a better response to the fertility medications which means more eggs which means higher success rates um, so at this point i was 25 um, Well, and also that's just
2: horrifying to hear that at that age too, that essentially, you know, like things are like, you're, everybody's told like up until 30, you're fine. And so I can't even imagine. thirty-five. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But right. So I can, I I can only imagine on top of all of these failures, then at 25 to be like, yeah, by the way, also your eggs, they they stink, you know?
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And well, and then, like I said earlier, it goes back to like people saying, you know, when we were. 22 and, you know, going through all of that. Oh, you're so, yeah. Like you have plenty of time. Don't worry about it. You know, like even people who were our friends were telling us like, you have plenty of time. And um, that's that's what everyone thinks. I mean, that's what I think too. Like, Oh, 25, you're fine. Right. Yeah. You have plenty of time. Little did I know that during, you know, this whole time that apparently my egg health was just continuing to get worse Um, And of course, the the drug that they had said that they could put me on that would kind of help with that, apparently was not one that they would suggest I use because of my PCOS. So it was getting it from all sides. Uh. It was was rough. And I remember um, because I was 25, they expected that AMH level to be, like um, I believe it was between like 3.2 and 3.5 was the number that they were looking for. And when I got retested after our IUIs, mine was at 1.2. Wow. So not anywhere even close to what they wanted. Um, And when we had our, you know, meeting with our doctor to kind of regroup his, his estimate of, um, at 1.2 of us even being able to conceive through IVF at that point, which IVF is a you know that a whole other ballgame than IUI. Um, definitely financially right. and super yeah, financially and physically, emotionally. Um, but our chances, because my AMH was so low, he thought um, was like maybe a 40% chance. Wow, um, and that was kind of on the high end. Like not even even odds. And then being at 1.2, it was kind of like, so if you're going to do this, you need to do this now. Um, Like we don't have a lot of time um, because as soon as that number drops to 1.0 or below, then our chances just drop even more significantly. Um, So it's like, how do you, I guess, you know... Decide if that 40%, possibly 40% chance is worth going through all of that physically, emotionally, financially, financially unfortunately, yeah. you know, is a really big thing. Like financial infertility is a big, it, it's a reality right. for people, okay. um, including us, you know, we're definitely not out of that group, Um
1: was that a really tough decision or did you guys kind of like know pretty much then like know that we we know what our next step is?
0: Um it it was it definitely took like some of those hard conversations that I think we had kind of avoided up until that point because we were just doing, you know, the IUI and we were still trying but IVF being as expensive as it is and then knowing, you know, our chances, I feel like it really prompted us to And because my level, you know, was so low and it was kind of a do it now or don't do it, um, it definitely resulted in us having those very serious conversations very fast. Um, and we knew financially, like that was going to be hard for us. Again, I was 25, you know, I don't know how many people really set for life at 25, but (laughs) you know, have your trust fund ready for that. Right. (laughs) Um, But I think for us, um, you know, it took a couple weeks of some, you know, really deep thought and conversations. And we had decided, you know, how we felt comfortable moving forward. Did we want to do IVF or did we want to look into all of our other options? Um, And so we decided against IVF at that point. Um, We knew that we just didn't have the funds to Do that at that point. And we also knew that some of those other options were ones that we were interested in. And that's kind of where um, our, our decision came in, we actually decided not to go forward with treatment and to look more into adoption. Um, right. Which, and
1: how did that conversation about uh, adoption go? How had you thought about, had you been thinking about adoption for a long time? Had you, was this kind of a new, like, wait, what else can we do since IVF doesn't seem great?
0: Um, well, so adoption, I kind of have a history of adoption in my family. So I think it had always been something that was on the table. Um, I, we never really had conversations about, doing that yet because this is all kind of a whirlwind but I think um even if we were able to conceive our own children I think that at some point I probably would have suggested that we go the adoption route anyway um because like my my littlest brother and what's your history oh yeah um so my littlest brother is actually, you know, my parents adopted him. Um, we've had him in our family since he was four days old. And so, um, you know, when when he came into our lives, I was 14. So at that point, I knew my husband. Um, we weren't friends by any means. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Um, right. Um, so I knew him. Um, but from the moment, you know, that we started dating, like, When him and I started dating, my little brother was two or three. Um, And so he kind of also got to really get, um, I guess, used to adoption being a part of our family and now his family. Um, And so he was very familiar with adoption, too. So I think my little brother really made our decision um, to go ahead and go the adoption route much easier. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily like a a backup plan, I feel like, you know, where, okay, you know, IVF didn't work or IUI didn't work. It was something that we were always comfortable with. And mm-hmm. when we actually started talking about it ourselves, it was like, um, like, we know that, you know, I think a lot of people when they think about adoption, one of the biggest concerns is like, can I love that child that isn't biologically mine as if they were biologically mine? Um, and I can tell you, and he could tell you, that like there wasn't a doubt in our mind that we could love an adopted child just like you know, our own. Um because you kind of, kind of loved your brother.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just yes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you
0: know, like we had already experienced that in so that fear that I think is there for a lot of people when they consider adoption, it wasn't a fear for us. It actually really pushed us, you know, him being in our family was such an incredible blessing. And I mean, like I said, we've had him since he was four days old. And so, and with me being 14 at that time, like my relationship with him is very maternal. I, I'm almost you know, like a second Mom to him. Obviously, right. my mom is his mom, but <laughs> you know, like the relationship that I have with him is very maternal. Um, I look after him almost as if he was my own. Um, and so that was, it was such an easy decision to choose adoption. Um, and I don't know, I'm kind of backpedaling a little bit, but um, one of the things that my husband and I consider, you know, there's so many different options that you can choose when you're going through infertility and everybody, you know, has a different reason that they choose what they choose and what works for them. Um, Which is
1: good that there are options and that, that that adoption is one of them. That's, it's great to have some, some choices.
0: Yeah. And you know, when we considered, like we considered obviously, my eggs were the problem. (laughs) Um, and so like, we could have very well gotten, you know, gone through an egg donor, um, and tried that route. But when we spoke about it, you know, my husband and I, it, the way he put it to me was very interesting. And I think some people probably don't think of it this way. Um, but for him, it made most sense. He didn't want me to ever feel like inadequate or like I was never, I was not just as, you know. I guess, I mean, I, I wouldn't be biologically related, yeah,
1: just some inequality because time. he would be genetically related to the child, and
0: you wouldn't if he which used is a donor. Not true. Right. And right. somehow exactly. you would
1: be less of a parent or than he would, which of course is not not the case, but but there is a lot psychologically that goes into it. I say. So
0: Definitely see that. Yeah, and well, and I hadn't really thought of it that way until he kind of brought that up, and then I was like, you know, I guess you do have a point. Like, I would hope that I would never feel that way, but I know, you know, for some people, it makes most sense that they want, you know, one of the one of them if they're able to to be biologically related, Um, and you know, if if that means that only one of them can be that then they would rather have that than you know neither but for us it just I don't know it it made more sense to, to if not if we couldn't both be a part of that then for neither of us to be a part of it and it didn't scare us away knowing that you I feel know like it's kind of kind of
1: romantic theory. in a way <laughs> to say that
0: <laughs> yeah I guess in its own weird way right <laughs>
1: <laughs> right for sure
0: um so
1: how did you how did you start? How did you choose an adoption agency and how
0: is it going? Um so so we waited um until about middle of 2015 and we spent a lot of that time you know the beginning of 2015 to try and research and decide what our options were as far as adoption went. Um and part of that, you know, part of our Narrowing down agencies is a lot of agencies are very religious based. Um, And unfortunately, our infertility journey, you know, it kind of messed with our faith and our religious beliefs. And we weren't really sure at that point, you know, where we were at. Um, And so for us, it made the most sense to go through an agency that wasn't, you know, religious based, um, where, you know, there wasn't a requirement that you. Be a Christian family, or um, you know something else. Um, Were you
1: religious before all of this? Did you go to church or um, some other
0: organized religion? Participated. Um, so growing up, we both kind of grew up in a, I guess, Christian household. We did. We didn't always go to church. You know, we weren't regular church goers, but um, I think we both kind of always had those Christian beliefs. Um, And so it it was definitely very hard for us going through the infertility piece of things um, because to keep that faith, you know, and I think in any big major setback or, um, you know, hard thing that you go through in life, people probably react in this same way you know it's it's hard to either to decide do you keep that faith and do you believe that you know in God's plan and um that there's a reason for everything and that there's a plan and um or well it's interesting because some people kind of embrace religion
1: more right or 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 move away from it it's interesting you can go either way
0: yeah and I think um there was a time when me specifically where I really embraced it. Um, and I prayed a lot and I, you know, I just, I really leaned towards my faith there for a while. And then there was also a time during our journey when I really started to pull away from that and doubt that and, you know, had a really hard time keeping that faith. And, um, it was actually, it was a very difficult time for us. And, um, I still to this day, you know, like I'm not totally ready to give up, but I'm still in a place where I really struggle with my faith and what I believe. And um, it's really hard to keep that when you're going through something and you see, you know, all these other situations of people having children that doesn't really make the most sense, you know, and then stories like are
1: yeah thank right. you for sharing that I feel like there's going to be so many people out there in that same position where it's not just like okay you know IUI and this problem and this problem and these technical issues there's just so much more to it of the, these um, this emotional turmoil and kind of rethinking your spiritual beliefs that, that play into it so I appreciate you being so open Actually, yeah. the openness
2: is really re- it's really refreshing to hear so much openness about. yeah that.
0: absolutely so. you know it, it was a really big part of my story and how i felt and like i said it still is you know and i'm not afraid to communicate that and like you said i'm sure that there are other people who have dealt with this um or are dealing with this and i i don't think it's a bad thing you know it's it's okay like this i feel like is normal for people to kind of struggle through this and you know it, if it ultimately ends up pulling them away then that's what happens. Or if it really makes them embrace it, then that's what happens. Like every person is different. Um, and something like this can be really, really hard to deal with spiritually. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely very real for me, but you know, so you found an agency that
2: that was not faith-based then. And so that was right. That was what, Yes, that helps at least through that part.
0: Yeah, so it definitely, um, you know, that definitely kind of shrinks your choices. I feel like there are, you know, several different options and, you know, everywhere for adoption agencies. But when you take out those religious based ones, you definitely have a smaller, you know, group of choices that you can choose. But we felt like at that point in our lives that that was the best way for us to go.
1: How did you choose the one
0: you went with? So we actually went to um, an information night at adoption options. They're the agency that we, you know, are working with. Um, They're here in Colorado and we went to an information night and it was really crazy because going there, we were so nervous and unsure of what this process really was going to be like. And um, when we left there, like the best way to describe it is like the warm and fuzzies. Like we Aww. felt so uh, secure and like, we had a very good understanding of what this process was going to be and what we were getting ourselves into. And it just, it felt so good that um, like there wasn't a doubt in either of our minds. It was very easy to say, okay, like we don't need to look further. You know, we've, we went to this information night, we feel good about this agency. This is where we're going to get started. So, you know, within a month of going to their information night, we were submitting our application. Um, And then of course, you know, everything that follows that, which I'm sure we'll get into.
2: (laughs) (sighs) So what does that involve? Actually, I'm super curious about
0: it. (laughs) You're trying to be matched. How did that go? Yeah. So, uh, you know, after our application was submitted, we, um, th- they kind of asked, you know, some of the initial questions and paperwork, and then you just get the mounds of paperwork after that. <laughs> um, so paperwork began, you know, we had to fill out medical forms and get, you know, current physicals and um, fill out all these questionnaires, do our fingerprints, like it's, it's a very in-depth process just to kind of get to that, first phase which is the home study um and so with the home study the home study took a couple of months like we started the process in july of 2015 and between like all the questionnaires and you know getting our background checks done and all of that different stuff um it wasn't until october of 2015 when we actually were home study approved um So that entailed obviously them coming out and visiting the house, but also, um, several different hiding the knives, (laughs) right?
1: (laughs) Um, The the weapons just sitting on the floor loaded. No,
0: (laughs) no, several visits to the agency. So I think we did, I want to say it was like two or three visits that we did with the agency, um, at the agency where, um, Like we would interview together and then they would split us up and we had to, you know, interview separately. Um, And then they came out to the house and did that study. You know, I laugh and I remember telling people like, all right, like my house is clean enough. Like come with your white gloves, you know, (laughs) Um, you know, trying to prepare for that, that home study visit, which another funny thing I remember was like, you don't really know what to prepare for or when they're coming out for your visit so like right. the did you worry were they were going to go through, through like your underwear mind. drawer or something yeah <laughs> right <laughs> you know one of the weirdest things that I thought they did when they came for that was they opened our fridge and like looked in our fridge and I was like okay, like, it's a good thing I cleaned to the fridge, but, wow. you
1: know. I mean, I guess if it was just all, like, booze and drugs or something, I don't know. That's yeah. Bad yeah, I guess,
0: <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, But, yeah, just, you know, things like that. And, well, and I remember worrying, and I actually asked our caseworker, like, so we don't have kids yet. So like my house is not baby proofed. Like do I need to have like outlet covers and like you know all this stuff and she I remember her laughing and being like no, we do not expect you to have all of that stuff when <laughs> you don't have kids yet, you know. <laughs> so that was like a huge lift off my shoulders. Like I remember being so nervous about that. Like should I be going and buying all this child like do my cabinets need to be, you know, child proofed and stuff and yeah, I don't know, but but you know asks. after yeah yeah, yeah. I mean it took a few months like from July until October you know but at the yeah. end of October of 2015 we got our you know approval um, so we were home study approved and um, then we just you know we had to do like a training and education program through the agency too so different classes that we've taken to kind of prepare us. To be parents, it's funny because I, I think a lot of parents would actually really benefit.
2: (laughs) I'm sure. I was gonna say this sounds like like most people just need this. Like this should be before you like before your chastity belt is released. You should go through these classes. Is this (laughs) right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I mean, they definitely were helpful. I'll tell you, like. One of the most beneficial ones and, you know, part of the paperwork we had to do was we have to fill out um, kind of like a a checklist that talks about um, like what we want in a birth family that we're trying to get matched with. So, you know, what um, like the contact with the birth family, if we if they want like an open adoption um, and what we're okay with there. If we're okay with open, if we want semi open, you know, if we just want like letters and pictures, um, what, what did you say? What did you want? Um, so our agency actually is very, um, they, they really encourage, you know, the open aspect of it. Um, and so I think again, that's probably another fear for people as you're going into the Adoption process is, you know, what does that open adoption really mean? And you know, semi-open. And um, so, us, we, I, I feel like our decision will really be made when we know more about what the situation is. Um, but we're definitely open to an open adoption. Um, it just, I think, not like it's definitely, it's not something that we said no to, we'll put it that way. But um, it's something that we would consider if that is what the birth family wanted.
1: Do you rank it? Like is, is open, not your highest priority, like your highest desire? Is it like you want semi open or some other form?
0: Um, I don't think we ranked it. I think it was just like, are you open? You know, if, if the birth or birth family Mm. does want an open relationship, yeah. Are you okay with that? And so I remember Um, filling that out like on a lot of our checklist it was like contact me because for me I feel like I don't know and it's kind of weird to explain but I can't make a decision on yes I'm like absolutely okay with an open adoption unless I know a little bit more about the situation because I might not want an open adoption if you know, it's, it's not a situation that's going to be beneficial for my child. You know, Um, I definitely don't want my child to have to go through things that they shouldn't, because I said, yes, that I was okay. You know, when maybe that wasn't the best situation for them. Sure. So where are things
1: now? So you're, you haven't adopted yet.
0: No. So we we are a little over two and a half years that we've been home study approved and waiting when we joined the um, pool. Or, you know, once we get home study approved, you get like added to the pool of waiting families at that point um, in October of 2015. We were number 46 in the pool. So we were pretty high up there. Um, right now which we're actually expecting an update within the next week or so so okay uh, we'll see you know if there's been any movement this month we usually get a monthly update from the agency about you know if there's been any placements and matches and stuff um and so right now without that update we're number six that's great though um so we've dropped that's a pretty pretty (laughs) low number good yeah so that's really good. Um, it means that, you know, our is being viewed, um, definitely more frequently. Like I think when we were number 46, our profile probably didn't get viewed at all, unless, you know, people just went to the website and checked us out. everyone, yeah. um, which they obviously can do. Like a lot of people end up getting matched because of word of mouth, you know, other people talking about, Oh, I know this family who's waiting to adopt and, you should, you know, check them out. And so, I'm definitely very open about our journey on social media. And I well, if there's any
1: birth family out there listening, Jessica's going to be Jessica. an amazing, <laughs> amazing mother, and she would be my number one choice right now. So, <laughs> so choose
0: her, choose Jessica. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so we're just we're on this crazy journey and waiting for our little miracle baby.
1: Well, I am hopeful that we're going to come back and we're going to get an update when um, there's more news. So hopefully it'll be very exciting and life changing. And hopefully that episode won't be, won't be too long from now. Um, I do want to briefly touch on uh, anything else you want to share in terms of your um, being so active in, in helping others and how, um, how you've worked with Resolve to kind of bring it back to that, that beginning part of how we met.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, seriously working with resolve over the last, this is, you know, the fourth year has really changed my life. Um, I've met some very amazing people like Ellen and Jen and, and so many others, but it really has, you know, my goal was to help other people, but I think through all of this, I've also really realized, you know, that I, this also really helped me, Um, you know, by, for one, staying busy, because it definitely keeps me busy. (laughs) And for two, just like the growth um, that I've seen in myself, like it really is making me proud of who I am as a person and what I'm doing. And as much as I think infertility sucks, if it hadn't have happened to me, I don't know that I would have gotten involved in something like this. Actually, I can almost guarantee you that I wouldn't have. Sure. Um, you know, so that infertility really sucks and it sucks that I'm, you know, that it's such a big part of my life. But I think that because I have taken this approach to be open about my journey, I'm hoping that, you know, somebody, at least that there's at least one person, if there's at least one person who feels like they have somebody and, you know, they're less alone and that they... Can fight for themselves and you know what is right. Then I feel like what I'm doing is worth it.
1: Definitely. Well, I want to say a, a huge thanks. I'm. I know that you do an incredible job and um, are just on top of everything and amazing. And I, you know, learning that you're actually the reason that we have the Welcome Hope and that Support for Resolve in Colorado is is incredibly impressive. And I thank you for sharing your story and we are 100% i know everyone will be is rooting for you and your your family
0: as it grows. Oh, well thank you guys. I really appreciate it.
1: Lesson of the day. We spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about options of egg donation and surrogacy. I think this is a really good to hear the adoption, you know, is kind of the, the classic option before assisted reproductive technology and still a really good option um, for those looking to build their family and, and figure out what makes the most sense for their family and their situation. So I'm I'm also really excited to one day do a follow up with Jessica, hopefully one day soon um, to see the, the next part of her story.
2: I. I will also add I really found Jessica's honesty uh, about a lot of things especially spirituality very refreshing because it's something that a lot of people are just afraid to talk about. So I I really loved that. Um and in speaking of honesty, you know, I we would always love it if you would honestly go to iTunes and give us a review and let us know what you think about us. You know, we we would we would love an honest five-star review. I mean if if we're, you know, we, that would be great. But, I mean, any feedback is wonderful. We also love to hear from people. Give our call to our uh, phone number, our hotline, at 303-997-1903. Or send us an email. We love to hear from people. Um, so anything you have to say, we we, we want to hear that feedback. A huge, huge thank you to Chris at Work at Birch Studios, who makes us sound awesome. And um, that's uh, it. I hope we get to hear from everybody. Oh, and to... Uh... Lexi Seal, who last time we got
1: onto Stitcher and now we're on iHeartRadio. Yes. So she is doing an awesome job on the so, back end. Thank you, so Lexi. Yay.
2: Hi to everybody on Stitcher and iHeartRadio who's listening to us. So we'll talk to everybody soon.